Hello, everybody. We are about to go live. Well, we're going live right now. And I'm just giving folks a few minutes to come and step into the room. I am Danny Terrell. I am the curator for Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas. And we have a surprise Sunday dinner at 12 noon today. Sunday dinner. I'm in the wrong program. We have so many programs going on. This is our physical distancing, intimate conversations. That's the program that I'm on right now. Um, I have Sunday dinner on the mind. Maybe I'm hungry. I am hungry. Um, welcome to this conversation. I am excited to talk to Ms. Shakia Danielson and Ms. Melba Iko, Ms. Lakima Bell, Cypher Goines, and Alacia Lemons from Northwest Tap Connection. Um, it's weird to say that because I also work there. So I'm trying to like act like I'm not working there. But welcome everybody. People are slowly stepping into the room. I will give you some information about Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas in case you know nothing about us. Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas is the only local nonprofit organization solely dedicated to presenting emerging Black arts, artists, and ideas in the Seattle area. We believe in the value of community, creativity, identity, and passion. These values serve as our strategic frame and guide to day-to-day -day operations and program decisions. We work out of the historic Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute um, in the historic Central District. It is an ADA-compliant facility rich with cultural and history. Culture and history. Our mission is to provide a platform for provocative arts and ideas that foster awareness and involvement in Black experiences. And lastly, our vision, we envision a world where culture cultural experiences are value. So for everybody tuning in, we thank you. We welcome you to this conversation. Um, again, I'm talking to Northwest Tap Connection. We are going to be talking about uh, the video that has just taken off once again, hell you're talking about, that was created, choreographed by Lakima Bell um, with some help from some other instructors and it was created for Northwest Tap Connection. And so, we're going to start bringing in some folks so they can introduce themselves and we're going to start the conversation. Uh, first, we're going to bring in Lacey, Lacey Lemon. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? If we can hear well, Hi, I'm, okay, I'm Lacey Lemon. I'm 17. I've been dancing at Northwest Tap Connection for 10 years now and I'm a dancer in the video. In a video or the video we talking about? The video we're talking about. <laughs> Cypher, who are you? What do you do? Hi, um, my name is Cypher Goings. I am 19 years old. Uh, I've been dancing at Northwest Tap Connection for at least the last 11 years. Um, and I am also a dancer in the Hell You Talking About video. Awesome. Thank you. Um, let's go next to my sister, Miss Lakima Bell. Hello. Um, I'm Lakima Bell. I am a professional African dancer, performer, event producer, um, and owner of the Skin I'm In LLC. I currently teach at Northwest Tap Connection African Dance. Uh, and I'm also uh, one of the dancers in the video, the hell you talking about video. Awesome. And let's move on to the 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 awesome sister, 
Miss Shakia Danielson. This is all about you today. Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey my name is Shakia Danielson. Um, I uh, was over the hip hop program actually at Northwest Top Connection. Um, very thankful to uh, have been a part of something very unique and and different and freeing as a black artist. And um, I. Uh, am I the creator visionary for the hell you talking about piece? Is that the right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's good. Yes, it's my piece. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and I am not in the video at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. At all. Yes, we are going to move and did on. Not need to be. And did not need to be. I feel you on that a lot of times. Um, Let's go move on to Miss Melba Iko. She is the founder, artistic director of Northwest Tap Connection. And we cannot hear her. Mm -hmm. What about now? We can hear you now. Technology, y'all. Technology is beautiful. Yeah, I hit that one. So I want to say, first of all, that I'm glad to know that I'm not only old one because, Mr. Danny, you said that the choreographer for this piece was now. I have because I've been with baby all for the last month, okay? So, you know, but I'm so thank you, Mr. Danny. I'm not the only one that be forgetting stuff, yes. If yeah, because right. everybody knew, you know, we all sit there with shaking heads, but we knew what you meant. Okay, so you know, I did say it was about Shakia too, so you know, I'm trying to like that's but see, that's the thing about okay. blackness, you know what I mean? <laughs> when you're sitting in a hub of blackness having this chit chat, we can we can talk about Mr. Danny and you know, he take it, you know what I mean? Because that's what it's all about. So, definitely, I'm Mr. Melba. What say, Mr. Danny? What you gotta say? Come on, talk to me. We need to move this conversation forward. I will, I will, that's another conversation. Okay. So I'm Miss Melba, the um, okay. executive and artistic director okay. of Tap Connection. And working it out. you guys that, you know, if you're not familiar with us, we are a race and social justice oriented studio that is committed to closing the gap for communities of color, that means with our youth. It's also providing a space and job opportunities for artists of color where they can work collaborative with students to create pieces that are relevant to our past, our presence, and our future. So definitely just having this conversation sitting in this hub of blackness, y'all know I'm just like all up into it. And thank you so very much. But that's what this is all about. And this piece that we're talking about today is very much the example of what happens when you have the freedom of hubs of blackness to really get in and touch on things that are relevant to us as a people. Thank you. Um, and so for those of you that are tuning in via Facebook or YouTube, you can uh, put questions in the chat. You can put comments in the chat and we will display them on screen. We will not be able to get to everything, but we will get to as much as possible. Um, I first want to start with just showing a short clip of Hell You're Talking About in case people have not seen it before. Um, and we will show clips throughout the entire process. So uh, if we can go with the first short snippet.
All right. We're just giving y'all a little tease right now of the video. We'll bring back some more of the video later on, again, in case you have not seen the video. Um, I want to bring uh, just myself and Miss uh, Shakia and Miss Melba on the screen. We hope Miss Shakia is there. There you are. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Oh I've gotten kicked out like two, three times or something, so I just keep popping back in here. So I'm... I don't know what's going on. I moved to a different spot just to see if I can awesome. know, be in here. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Shakia, no the first problem. question is for you. Uh, okay. What was going on at, um, when you started visioning and creating Hell You Talking About? What was going on in the country at the time? And also, uh, what, I, what I've realized seeing this clip, there are two different versions of this, but people are gravitating yes. toward the version more so that was shot in front of the studio was something about that version that people keep gravitating gravitating towards. And can you tell me about both versions and why do you think people are gravitating towards that? And also Miss Mel, but the same thing with that question of why people keep gravitating towards that. But Miss Shaquille, what was going on in your mind when you said like, this needs to be done? Um, honestly, it was, it was overhearing. First of all, there was like, we saw uh, Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, looking at Zimmerman uh, uh, being tried and, and justified, if you will, for his actions. Uh, then you start seeing like a rash of all this footage online of all these. Uh, it's not like it's new, you know, um, It's it's been happening for a long time, but you just started seeing more clips through social media, more exposure of these officers, you know, kids in a car playing music too loud, you know, and somebody just doesn't need to dump in the car. And, and really what triggered the piece was actually overhearing uh, one of Miss Lakima's sons and Jasiri uh, uh, and uh, two other young boys um, discuss how to uh, survive law enforcement. They were like Whoa. six or seven at the time. And it, and it, uh, it, it, it tore me up inside. It tore me up inside because right. they're not discussing uh, it's like they're children, so they don't have time to get through the politics and policies and training and de-escalation and things like that. They're just seeing woo, 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 sirens. We have law right. enforcement. They keep seeming to kill grown men who look like me. And they're discussing this as kids, and it just pissed me off and tore me up inside, honestly, because mm. they shouldn't be worried about that at this age. And so it was a combination of that going home and being like, okay, something got to be done. And then hearing the song. And to me, that song by Janelle Monet articulated perfectly blood crying out in the streets. Mm. And so that's what led to, okay, I'm a hip hop instructor, but I'm at a tap studio and I feel like tap is the more effective medium for this. And um, as far as the two versions, we did, we did this first at the Groovement in 2016. And then after that, we did it at a block party, the Beacon Hill block party. And from there, a cell phone clip is the thing that initially went right. viral. That cell phone, that rickety cell phone click had like three, four million views over the 4th of July weekend. And um, I just remember being like, hmm, you know, and then that's what led to connecting to uh, the gentleman that I collaborated with was covering the Olympics at the time. And we got a hold of someone out here to shoot in front of the studio mm -hmm. to be a little more intentional and have a clean version. But then it also the clip also got to Young Arts and that's how we got the collaboration with the short film. And so that's kind of, that's like a quick, you know, 
synopsis of how those two pieces kind of came about. But I wanted, I think the reason why the one in the in front of the studio is is uh, gravitated to more is because it's more raw, it's more authentic, you right. know, and it's it's in front of the place it actually comes from. Right. Thank you. And Miss Melba, your thoughts on that? So I agree with Miss Shakia, and I think that even more so that you can imagine that both my husband and I. Um, at the time, I was still working with Seattle Police Department, but my husband was a retired police officer from Seattle Police Department. And here we have the studio. And what you're seeing is, is that when these things happen, young people want to talk to you about what's going on and how could this happen, because we're in that police department. And, and one of the reasons why we started off with Tap Connection was because of the fact that we wanted to touch kids on an individual basis that we would see them up close and personal, but never coming across either one of our deaths at that time. And so I think that what really hits for this piece, though, is that the very thing that Ms. Shakir talks about, the rawness of it, but also with TAP, TAP is such a form that when we talk about TAP, we talk about it, it came out of protest when drums, African drums were, um, you know, um, taken away. Then on top of that, you see so much of those things which are rooted in black culture, call and response, that you're looking at a piece in front of the studio where black people, how we have done things historically, whether it was at church, black church, or in Congo Square during the days of plantations of using this opportunity to dance as a healing. One of the reasons why I have Alice Walker's statement on one of our building is, they talk about, I think it's very much clear, at times requires furious dancing. And so we know that dancing has always played a vivid role in African-American whether it's dancing at church or dancing after a rough week and work where you go to the club and get your dance on. So definitely I think that those elements of the rawness and the very essence of blackness is so relevant in this piece. Thank you. Um, I want to bring in Ms. Lakima in this conversation because uh, something that you said, Ms. Shakia, really struck me. Um, especially, uh, Ms. Lakima, you have sons. Um, and so to have these young people talk about this conversation, what, yeah, as yeah. a Black mother, why should our kids have this conversation? What were you telling your sons about this conversation? Because that's an important part of this entire thing, like we have to talk to our children, not when they're like 17, 18, when they are like five, six, even younger. So can you talk about that, Ms. Lakima, a little bit? Yes. Can you all hear me? Yes. Absolutely. So um, I do have twin, I have a son that's 30 and I also have twin boys that are 12. Um, and at that time they were what, eight or something, I believe. Thank you. And so, these conversations, as we all know, as black folks, you have to have these conversations very early, even at the point of when they can start to yeah. talk, especially yeah. if you are driving um, while black, you know the risk. So the children have to know what not to do. If you were to be pulled over, if you were to be walking and stopped, they need to understand what the behaviors are that can produce harm to their bodies. Um, that is a hard conversation that a mother has to have, but is ne a, necess a necessity. Um, and it's 
us as parents, we are the primary educators. School is a secondary educator and understand that there's a third educator, which is the environment, people that they talk to and the social media. And so as a primary educator, you have to ensure that you are providing them the type of resources, the information necessary to know who they are um, in their, in their, um, their royalness, where they come from as an African people, um, and also to know that uh, the skin they're in um, intimidates others uh, just by the skin they're in. And with intimidation causes fear. And with fear, people act out in ways um, to harm people when they're fearful of them. Thank you, Ms. Akima. Um, <laughs> Again, the way I love these conversations because they take on a whole different turn for me. Um, I have things prepared, but uh, sitting in that for a minute, a minute uh, we all work at Northwest Tap Connection. We are surrounded by Black kids daily. Um, we are surrounded by, we hear police sirens. And I'm not saying that the studio is not in a bad neighborhood because, again, people have misconceptions about where places are because Black folks are living in there. But we hear sirens. We hear these things. Um, what was, what was, when you approached the students about this, Ms. Shakia, about being a part of this, what was the reaction? What were the conversations centered around that? And same thing uh, for Ms. Lakeem and Ms. Melba. Uh, Can't hear you. There you go. Okay, okay. Um, I don't think initially um, I, I went to the rhythm of it and actually pulled on two other instructors that were there at the time, Mr. Alex and Mr. Latuan, for intensity. But I, the way that I taught anyway, a lot of times I'd throw something out and then reveal what the music was later. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure, you know, what, I think initially it was like, okay, um, because my style was a little bit different, I think that the students were gracious with me and just, okay, Ms. is doing something, let's just go with it. We don't know where she's gonna go yet. But once it hit, then it was all about trying to get the reality that we are dancing about people who have passed. Mm -hmm. you know? um, we, we're dancing about people with, with people's names still being added to this list here. You know, uh, people are still being murdered by law enforcement. Um, even, even in my mind, I remember thinking, the mind around when Rodney King was captured. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And and just thinking that surely there will be justice now because it's on camera, right? But here we are, um, what what are we, 30 years later? Exactly. Since the Rodney around. King incident and, and there's still no recompense, you know, for like, where's the accountability? Where's this, where's that? And I'm just like, I, I think too, the last ones that seem to be considered in this are ones that can't control anything about it. And that's kids. Right. And so um, my hope also was just like, man, hopefully this is a way to put the future back in front of people's faces because eventually these kids are going to grow up and eventually they're going to have their own views. And eventually they're going to do things in the world as a result of what we do right now. And sometimes we're so selfish and reckless. We only think about what we see in front of our face right now, but that's why it's so important to be like, yo, there were children trying to process this. You know what I'm saying? And so I think I think it also, it, they can probably speak to this better than I can, but I think it may have given them a way to feel empowered to address stuff that normally they, they don't have no say in. They can't vote, right. you know, like 
all I can do is dance, but it's not a small thing that that's all you can do. Right. I will say um, also the, the most powerful thing, even if we're looking about back to 2016, up until now, we didn't have as many youth protesting in the way that we have now. Right. Um, I see right. so many youth now on the front lines and in charge of a lot of these protests. So I think the beautiful thing about that is like, we, we doubt the voices of children and youth and teens. Yes, yes. Right now, they yes, are moving yes. us in a direction of like, we will no longer, we don't want to have to talk with our children when we have children. We don't want this. So it's beautiful to see that. Um, Miss uh, Miss uh, Lakima or Miss Melba, you want to chime in? I was just going to say, I think it's really important for me to say too, if that, you know, when Ms. Shakia first started talking to me about this piece, it really hit me very hard because I am a woman who was born doing segregation. I was born into segregation. And I can still remember being down in Louisiana under Jim Crow and that my mother would take us to town. And when she would take us to town, she would tell us the story about how we needed to stay in the car. We needed to be close to her. And she would talk about we didn't want to see happen to us what happened to Emmett Till. And I have to tell you, for years, years, I thought that Emmett Tilt was somebody who lived in Covington, Louisiana, born and raised in Covington, Louisiana. And yet this was an action that had happened even before I was born. And so right. that critical is so, it was so much to me that this is a conversation that has been ongoing for a long time. Because when I'm listening to this music, I hear Emmett Tilt's um, name called out. And it took me back to that. And even when we talked about it, you know, one of the things that I did was I was working for Seattle Police Department. My husband had retired, but I went into the department to tell them that we are doing this piece and that we're doing this piece because I was very concerned about what's happening and that as a race and social justice that we had to have a voice and talked about it like that, yes, I worked for Seattle Police Department, but way before I started to work for Seattle Police Department, I was a black woman. When I got a job at Seattle Police Department, I was a black woman working for Seattle Police Department. And when I retire, I will be a black woman that used to work for the Seattle Police Department. And exactly. I, you know, that that's a critical, critical conversation that talks about that when you're in these spaces that people need to know that your lens and your views are coming from the lens of who you are. And our identity is definitely not a place. My identity is that of a Black woman. And then furthermore, I would say that Miss Shakia and I had a lot of conversation as this piece went on. Because now all of a sudden, you know, we're getting added things coming on, and we've got children in the midst of it. We have children. And we know from the bombing of the church and, you know, years ago, the children are not That's just real. It's not free. So we had right. a really conversation, especially when they started talking about that they were calling and wanting to make a mini series that my thing was I needed to call every parent for children that was in and every parent really to talk to every parent that's at the studio because the moment you went from doing something at the groomment and to doing something that people are looking online, then you're opening up this avenue that racist, white America, definitely target. Yeah. And so the studio itself had to make a decision as to whether or not we were willing to stand. 
And I can really say that everyone in there and, and you know, including blacks, whites, yep. you know, the whole community, because black community is always inclusive said, right. and then going to this next level with, um, we knew that we were giving up some of the rights that we have, but Ms. Shakia felt very strongly that this was something that needed to be on a platform that was broad, that was broad. This message needed to, if this, if this action could stop what we've been talking about since beef, the 1920s, okay, living while black, after Reconstruction, then it was worth it. Awesome, thank you. Ms. Lakeem, do you have anything to add to that? No, that was very powerful. I share you. And that's exactly what we be dealing with. Any time that we have and that we know that it's something that we must do. This is not something that we have a, a, a that we nope. can say yes or no to. But right. in doing it, we know the risk. Right. And that is some of the things that us as black people have to deal with and leverage on this line all the time. I have to fight for my children. I have to fight based on the ancestors who fought for me to be here to right. fight. I can't sit here and have the space to be silent. But in my words, in my voice, then it causes risk for my body and my children's body Facts. and my community's body. And that's right. a hard thing to have to balance. And that's what I do want to say, but we must and will and shall continue to do that very thing. Awesome. Um, I want to play another part of the clip. Like we're breaking up. You can definitely go see the full thing um, under Northwest Tap Connections YouTube page, but we're breaking some of the clip up. Let's go to the next clip. Say your name! Say your name! Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to bring in the youth. Uh, we, we can just keep everybody on screen, but I definitely want to bring in uh, Lacey and Cypher um, into this conversation. Uh, but Ms. Shakia, uh, when did you, and so the clip that was at the block party, we, that blew up. But when did you know it was like, oh, this is something beyond me? When did you realize that? While while it was going up, I, I just I was at Essence Fest getting notifications like crazy. Just uh -huh. and the minute it was jumping a hundred thousand every hour. Mm. I've never had anything like that. Right. But I've also I've also never been like a, a clout chasing type of person. I, it's never been necessary for me, but it did let me know it's needed. That's that's just what it let me know. It's not it's not that it's a hot piece because this ain't cute. There's nothing cute about this, you know what mm. I'm saying? But it's it's cathartic, it's bold, it's confrontational, and it's also very challenging, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so that to me was like, oh, okay, so this is this is a cry that people don't always know that they have necessarily. Exactly. It's almost like when you play when you play a song because it says what you can't say. I think people began to share 
because it was saying something that maybe they didn't have words or moves for. Right, thank you. I mean, just a reminder for those that are viewing, you can definitely type in comments or questions uh, via Facebook or YouTube. So please feel free to do that. Uh, we will post them. And again, we won't be able to get to get to everything. Uh, Miss Melba, when I kind of slightly remember the conversation, but it started happening that you are not a social media person. No, you are right. You are like, right. Right. like what's right. happening on here? The YouTube thing, but when did you know? Also, it's like, wait a minute, something just happened that changed uh, the trajectory of the studio. When was that moment for you? Well, I have to tell you, it's really different for me because you know you're right. I'm not really on social media, y'all. Know I don't have no Facebook. You know, y'all don't need to be talking about me. <laughs> Talk to me. So. My thing was is that I remember Olu Dixon coming to me, one of the young men in the studio, saying to me that we were going viral. And I really, I tell you, I thought that somebody done been on my computer again because we had had problems where the kids was using the computer and getting these viruses on. I was like, oh, no, you done lost your mind. Y'all had a virus on my computer? At which time, no, no, Miss Melba. And then that's when he showed me what's going on with the video. Right. So for me, I have to tell you, it's not like I was really surprised because I had watched Miss Shakia and Alex in the studio talking about this piece and working it through. And so I knew that this was going to be something different. Okay. But then as we start to look at the piece and see it and, and look at the reactions, of it, I remember a conversation that me and Miss Shakia talked about. And I said to her that, you know, this, the arts have always played an important part when we look at the Harlem Renaissance, okay? But yep. I really thought about the song Strange Fruit. Yes. Because people were so busy singing that song. And then just from the, you know, just the, then all of a sudden you get to Black Body Swinging. And it brought about, through this song, brought about this whole narrative about what was happening down south. And so I said to Ms. Shakira that I felt like that this is what was going to happen. And then we would begin to see that that video blew off. Then, you know, with Young Arts, I got a call from a young man that we were very familiar with from TAP, um, with the festivals and everything. And so he called me and wanted to talk about this collaboration. So definitely, I just think that, um, that the essence of Northwest Tech is about creating pieces that are going to change the narrative and thought patterns uh, regarding yeah. blackness. So definitely, Ms. I told Ms. Shakira, you might as well be ready for it. You know, we don't know what all is going to involve here, but I, I knew from the moment that I saw the work that was being done in the studio, to be honest with you. Awesome, thank you. I wanna bring in um, Lacey and Cypher into this conversation um, along with Ms. Lakima and talk about the multi-generational aspect. Uh, we grew up in black families. We understand the importance of that multi-generational interaction. Why do you all think it was important for this piece to have that aspect that it was not just young children or um, 
young adults, but it was our elders. It was everybody involved in this piece. Why do you three think that it was important for that to happen? Let's start with you, Lacey. We got you, Lacey. There you go. Okay. Uh, throughout the video, you see, like, the younger generation, which maybe about four-year-olds to six-year-olds, they um, are tend to be shown dancing and smiling, but, like, knowing, like, what the actual music is about, you see that they don't really know what's really going on. They're, seeing, they're like, joyful at a time like this, but... And then when you see more of the teenagers dance, we're more serious, but when we get into the adults, it's kind of, you see the difference between the gravity. And I feel like it's it was a good thing to see the multi-generations because um, it kind of showed how we're all coping with it differently and how we all understand it differently and like the difference in time and aging. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, let's go to Cypher. Yeah, I would definitely like to add um, to what Lacey had just um, said. I would agree that um, you can definitely see, like, honestly, you just see the human experience in its entirety. Um, you know, Lacey highlighted like the younger children um, the particularly like the babies, the toddlers, the four-year-olds, six-year-olds, they um, depict more of a happiness feeling. And we as human beings have happy emotions. Um, the teenagers, we're more um, kind of like at the on the front lines of the piece and we're depicting um, more seriousness. And I think um, at that stage in life as teenagers, we are able to I think for me personally, um, from just in my time of being alive and witnessing um, Black, particularly Black males um, being murdered, um, the first person who I can really remember um, at the moment uh, was Trayvon Martin. Um, the death of Trayvon Martin was definitely very shocking and it made it um, very real, a very like, well, that could have been me experience. And Mishikia um, did a, um, she made it a point to constantly bring up the ages of the people whose names were being called out in the piece. And so I think um, with it being multi-generational, we have the trickle down of just experience um, experiences. My mom, um, she uh, constantly talks about like um, the black, I, I asked her, I was like, you know, what were the um, black deaths? Um, like what kind of black police brutality um, experiences do you have? And um, she would like explain to me. And so there's just, I feel like we have this trickle down of information and also just a, a depiction of the entire human experience. You have happiness, you have sadness, you have frustration. And we as black people are trying to display that we are in fact human beings and we have many different ways of coping with this. Um, and so, to me, the importance of having the multi-generational um, experience is um, to be able to learn from one another and to help depict what we as human beings, Black human beings are experiencing um, during these times. 
Thank you, Cypher. Um, Ms. Lakima, in the in the video, um, in the clip, and I think um, we will show, I think we'll show a clip of that. It is you, your mom, hmm. and your sister, uh, three people that I love dearly. Uh, what was that like? And then your children were also in the clip. Um, what was that like to be a part of that and then have your the generations and the family in that, that um, for people that don't know, that's a really powerful statement within itself. And it's very echoey. My apologies. It hadn't been um, the importance of intergenerational one. Let's start with um, we are an African people. And so this idea of separation and division comes from the white dominant culture. Um, as you know, when we gather, we gather from grandmama and them to the babies and we all commune together. We, um, we also uh, pray together. Um, we eat together. We mourn together because we are all connected. We are connected from the people that have passed before us, our ancestors and through who came through us, and then those that will be continuing on in the generations to come. Um, and it's very important to continue to um, have intergenerational connection because it's what feeds all of us. It feeds all of us. And as Cypher said, it's also a way that we can lean on each other, learn from one, one another in our different understandings of experience, right? Um, then you gain wisdom. Um, what it feels like to have my children, I had all three children, my mother and then my sister, we have a 14 year difference. Um, it was powerful. I wanna say that 2016, very, it was a very short time after my brother's death that this uh, particular piece was filmed. So understand that our family was mourning the loss of my little brother um, and he wasn't killed by uh, police, but he was, he did suffer uh, based on white racist structural institutions. Um, and therefore we were saying his name as well um, and saying all the names of our people who have been and continue to be um, perpetuate, perpetuated upon based on these racist systems and infrastructures that are built from the very, um, from the soil that we're on. Um, so what you see there, when you see our faces in that pain, that's the pain of the loss of my brother that had died just a few, um, if not a month prior, but um, a few days um, after his passing. Um, I don't know if I answered that question, but I do wanna say that the elders provide the wisdom in which that we learn and then that we share with our youth to continue to move forward. Um, and so, it, it was a very emotional piece for us. Um, and that's all I can say. It was, my brother had just died. So we were saying his name for real. Thank you, Ms. Lakima. We're gonna um, move into just showing another piece of the, uh, of hell you're talking about from the WhatsApp connection. Look at this on.
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, move into a question that we had uh, from Kat Richard. I th think I'm saying that name right in the comments. Um, my question is for Ms. Shakia. You mentioned that you teach hip hop, but felt that tap was a more effective medium as a tap dancer. I'm biased, but I'm curious why you chose tap. Let me just hold off on that question for one second, Ms. Shakia. Um, I just want to say this for white people and folks that are that are watching we cannot separate our blackness and no matter what form it is. And that's the thing I think people don't understand is that you may be a tapper, you may be someone that's into African dance or ballet, but we understand that it's all interconnected. So what I see, I'm a dancer myself, so I can speak on this in this way. Um, what I see from a lot of dancers that are not from the diaspora, it's easy for them to separate and judge that this is not worthy, this is not worthy. But we understand when we see tappers that it's connected to African dance. When we see hip hop dancers, it's connected to African dance and tap. When we see house dancers, it's connected to everything. So, and it is not to make you feel bad. It is just to let you know that we cannot separate any forms of ourselves. We may have our specialty in these things, but we can't separate it. Um, but, Mr. Kia, why did you? gravitate towards time you are a hip-hop dancer uh mr danny <laughs> thank you thank you i'm not offended by that question at all let me also say that but the it is very real that we cannot separate i i i'm not an expert in this and you've never heard me say it but i'm around i'm around those resources, I'm around that that specific style, that specific genre. And what was more important to me was the messaging. That's the thing here. When you care about your people, you don't need to be the main whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, it it might have done, it might not have done as well if I chose hip hop. It's a very cathartic, uh, rhythmic piece. Um, it involves drums, and I feel like why not add your own rhythm to it. Not only that, it was structured this way because it was meant to be a piece of solidarity that would eventually invite other styles into the center of it. But the person that I was working with to create this, uh, this solidarity campaign, if you will, at the time did what a lot of people do. They start seeing all these views, they start seeing uh, all the attention being drawn to it and something sneaks up in their heart, they get greedy. You know what I'm saying? And so I cut it off. I cut it off. And that's just what kind of comes when you have when you have something like this, you have to be you have to be willing to box and defend, even if people throw money at you, people throw platforms at you, people throw all kinds of stuff at you. But it's all for their gain. You know what I'm saying? It's for their gain. It's for their self exaltation. Meanwhile, these babies over here could still potentially get shot. And that is the reality. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wasn't happy about this piece. And so I'm, I'm very, um, I appreciate you saying that because if you're not a part of the community, you then start trying to dissect from your lens. You know what I'm saying? To me, it's black on black on black on black on black on black on black. And why not involve all of it? You know what I'm saying? And why not defy some of some of these stereotypes and why not defy some of the things that might be said 
Um, it's countercultural just to see everybody on the same page. I absolutely agree with the intergenerational aspect of it. We're not trying to throw away our wisdom. We're not trying to, you, you don't get to keep saying we don't care about what's popping in our community. You don't get to keep saying that. You know what I'm saying? This is a blatant demonstration of it. And, um, you know, don't come with your books and your expertise and your studies and your travels. Respect this culture and respect the cry that's coming from this culture, whatever way it comes. Does that make sense? Did you guys hear me? Miss Shakir, you about to make me throw my computer. Oh, okay. You about to make, you about to make me throw my computer for real. I'm sitting over here like, Miss Melba, what you got to add to that? Because I know you got something to say. Y'all about to make me. I just wanted to talk about that intergenerational because what happens is, is that a lot of the times we hear, well, gee, it's been 400 years and they're still talking about what happened in slavery days, okay? But in this type of piece, when you talk about intergenerational, it's so critical because the trauma, the trauma that exists in 2020 is a trauma that goes into intergenerational because when you have already lost someone, like Shakia talks about the fact that when she did this piece, they were in the process of mourning her brother. They had already gone through the trauma. Miss Lakima, you mean Miss Lakima? Miss Lakima, Miss Lakima, that they had already talked about that they were mourning their brother. And so when we see this happen over and over again, the trauma is great because I can remember being in Brazil in 2015, and I'm watching on this international, you know, Portuguese news about black shootings in the United States. And then once that happens, you know, maybe somebody got shot two years ago, and you know, it kind of go down, and you kind of a little bit past it. But then here come three years, you got the same incident happening, and there hasn't been yeah. any revolution or change. So when we talk about trauma within the black community, it's always going to be intergenerational because this type of life living goes all the way back to the days of plantation living, reconstruction, Jim Crow, and the New Deal America, what we look at now. So I think that that's a really critical part to hear about the fact when we're talking about intergenerational. And then I think Ms. Shakia said it very well, black dance, if you look, everything you look at, you're going to find it from, from Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk to saying, wait a minute, that's the moonwalk, but I see it as a Bill Bailey from a tap dancer. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Lacey and Cypher, I wanted to ask you all this question. What is it that, that the younger generation actually needs to listen to from the older generation? And what does the older generation actually need to listen to from the younger generation? Because a lot of times we are at odds and at times saying the yeah, same yeah. thing, but saying it differently or have different approaches to it. So from your point of view, what, is, what do we need to hear from you all? And what do you all need to hear from us? Cypher, you can go first. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, so I actually, um, Lacey and I are actually really close friends and we talk about this actually a lot. And I would say, um, Mr. Danny, you actually touched on this, that a lot of times um, the younger generation and the older generation 
are actually saying a lot of the same things and have a lot of the uh, same frustrations uh, pertaining to Blackness in itself. Um, but when you, but when we dive into the specific aspects of Blackness, I think our communication styles differ. And so we're completely misunderstanding what we're saying, what one another are saying. Um, and I would say as a young person, um, some of my biggest uh, frustrations uh, with the older communities um, have been, um, I, I think the world would like to say like, oh, the older generations aren't as progressive or they're not as understanding. And I kind of disagree. I think a lot of things that um, older generations have in their mind were actually set in place to kind of keep them safe in a lot of ways. And I think um, with the evolution of technology and um, the progression of social media that um, we have access to see the um, individuality in people and the intersectionality of things. And so I would say as a younger person, I would just like to feel like our voices are being shared and um, kind of, at least even if we don't agree, you at least respect where it is that I'm coming from because this is my personal experience as a younger person. I think, um, and vice versa, we can do definitely be better about listening. I think us as younger people, our attention spans are very quick. Um, and when we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement um, on social media, we see a lot about, um, you know, this isn't just some um, spirit week. This isn't, you know, like just a moment of time, like, you know, people in the past, um, like the bus boycott that happened for over a year before they finally stopped protesting because changes were actually starting to occur. And so I just think um, the minute we start acknowledging one another and saying, look, I hear you, I see you, I understand what you are saying and actually taking the time to just listen to one another, um, we can move a lot <laughs> further. Um, yeah, I totally agree with Piper in um, the way that we need to listen to each other. And I feel like both adults and youth have these kind of some type of bias against one another or like misconceptions or even stereotypes. Um, a lot of young people think that, you know, older people can be, um, like Cypher said, narrow-minded, or a lot of older people think younger people can be very, um, this idea of just trying to be rebellious or um, doing things for like, because it's trending. But I would say also just listening to each other. And in the end, we would probably see that we're really talking about the same thing. And also um, I've seen that a lot of older people have like, in a way sort of lost hope in the fight for maybe justice, if that's how you'd say it. Yeah, for the fight in justice and have not realized that there's multiple ways of protest and of ways to fight for justice. And I would say just keeping an open mind and being open to different ways that we can all come 
or that we can all go to the same goal, the end goal, and how we're all working for the same thing and just understanding each other. Awesome, thank you. Uh, this question is for everybody. Um, we, <clears throat> what, what goes on, we protest when there are black men being killed. Um, we say their name when black women are being killed. Uh, I come from a queer community. We don't even say their name. And these are all black people. Trans women are getting killed, trans men, black women, black girls are getting killed. We say Breonna Taylor's name, uh, but the anger is not there. The, the, the strong call for justice is not there. Why do we continue to uplift black straight men in this fight and not paying the same attention to black women? Because black women, uh, whatever your intersection is, the more intersections you have, the least in the total pole you are as far as humanity goes. So what are your thoughts on like, one, why do we keep doing that? And two, how do we uplift all Black people? How can we get just as mad when we see all Black people getting killed? That's a broad question. Can I jump in on that one first? Yes. Um, I, I, my perspective on it is this. A lot of times, nothing beyond your complexion is allowed to make it to the table. Mm. And so, so, I mean, take Philando Castile. His daughter was sitting in the back seat and this man got lit up yep. in front of his daughter. He was not, nothing else about him was considered. He could have been trans. He could have been you know what I'm saying? He could have been, the, the fact that he was a father didn't matter. The fact that he worked at a cafeteria didn't matter. The fact that he was a licensed carrier didn't, nothing mattered beyond his melanin. And um, I don't think anyone should be murdered because of how they identify. I don't, I don't believe anyone should be uh, murdered because of uh, what their preferences or or how they see themselves or where they intersect, as you said, Mr. Danny. And to be honest, I'm not even fully educated on how just how many there are, because to me it seems like there's more distinctions yes, it, being yes. brought. You know, you know what I'm saying. So I'm not as educated um, regarding just how many there are. So hear my heart in that I want to be respectful to it, but I don't even think it makes it to the table. If you get stopped by a cop, I doubt your um, I doubt you get to be queer before you get to be black. I don't. I'm always black, black first. Yes, I'm always black first. You know what I'm saying, hundred <laughs> percent. So, so my my concern, I don't feel like the black community in general is even in a position to afford to separate on anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whether whether it's this or religion. Or what I I feel like I feel like where my heart is coming from, we all could get shot. Yes. Because we're black. You get what I'm saying? Like that that right there is that is the common thread. And so it's not that it's not important. I just don't even think it has an opportunity to make it to the table in the eyes of the wrong person. You know what I'm saying? Um, being a mother don't make it to the table. Um, 
um, being right. a son don't make it to the table. You know, none of that stuff makes it to the table. It's, I see that you're black and I'm coming for you. I have a problem with your, I have a problem with your complexion. I have a problem with, and, and some of that too, to me is like an, an, an ingrained guilt. When you know you've wronged, you know you got wrong coming, so you try to right. beat it to the punch. You know what I'm saying? And so um, my perspective isn't that it's, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just, I don't even think it has an opportunity to make it to the table in a lot of these situations. I think, and I agree with you with that. I also, I also feel like when it's, when it's down for the protest, when it's down for uplifting people's name, uh, we do go through, this is a man, this is this, this is what he's done. And a Breonna Taylor, this happened months ago and we are just now hearing about it. And so we're hearing about wow, wow. her as far as like, she was an essential worker. She did these things. But again, she is not getting, in my opinion, she is not getting the, the, the same amount of anger that so many, other, so, so many of the Black men have gotten. We had a Black trans woman on the front lines protesting, and she got savagely beat. And so yeah. again, yeah. and people are focusing on her trans identity and not the fact that you are just a Black person out there because yeah. you know it is wrong. And so the, I think that's where I'm shaping my question in is not, we know as a Black person, you can kill by somebody, they just see your skin color. They don't care what your intersections are. But when we start looking right. in the news, we start breaking things down and then people become less than depending on what it is. And, and I'm just asking the question, like, how do we make sure the same care and love is given to black women when we start protesting? Because we know the idea of killing folks. Mr. Danny, I'm going to jump in if that's okay. With you. If yes. that, I think it's really important for us to understand history of blackness and then that kind of defines what that happens. You know, when you go back to those days of plantation living, and I talk about this all the time, when they talk about what happens with plantation living, what was the highest um, death um, with doing plantation living? It was babies, infants, right. were the highest because they starved to death. Then when you look at how they actually separated out families, that when there was a family in plantation living, that they allowed the children to stay in the housing with the women. However, when a male became 10, at the age of 10, a black male was considered an adult and they took them out of the house from there and they put them into where they said, hey, if I get 10 years of your work production, I've earned my money. So I think historically within black culture, there is this, this embracing and fear and protectiveness that goes to black males because the males as that head of the, what we look at as head of the household, even though we know that's not always is, is that we have this feeling that black males have never been treated as black males. Even when I grew up in Jim Crow, my, I would listen to these white men talk about my father and say to me, Oh, you little gal should be really proud because I tell you, Ed is a good boy. He's a good boy. Now, for me, myself, I was so angry because I used to say into myself, Ed, why do they call my dad a boy? When will my dad be a man? And so these feelings of protectiveness is for black males that come from 
a long time in the making. When you think about that black women were raped in front of their black male husbands, that is, so there's this, this link that when we talk about black males, we're very protective about them. Even when you're talking about the schools now, we're talking about what's happening with black males. And that's not to say that it is right or wrong, but that is the trauma that historically comes in from the days of plantation living, reconstruction and Jim Crow. And we have not been able to walk over and start to think differently. But these type of conversations, these types of arts work starts those conversations with looking at how we look at all lives of blackness, regardless right. if it's through police shootings or black on black crimes. So this is definitely a change that's coming. I believe that this is a change that's coming. I have a, a grandson that's a black male. And when they look at him, they're going to see a black male. But right. I believe that the stance that we're taking today is going to change that narrative tomorrow. Thank you. And, and, and another reason I pose this question is because we are Black instructors, Black students at Northwest Tap Connection, and predominantly have young girls and young women in our studios uh, taking classes. And I often walk in thinking to myself, what is my responsibility to, to protect them also? Um, I think we are, we are more conditioned to know how to protect Black men. Um, we are less conditioned in understanding how to protect young Black women and girls and, and older Black women. And that's just a historic thing. And so every time that I'm in these conversations and talk to people, I go back to how do we protect the people that are the least protected. We know how to do that. And so that is that is why I'm bringing that conversation up. Oh, we are running out of time. Ah, ah, there's so much to talk about. I hate this. It's so much to talk about. Um, I wanted to get to a question from the audience. Uh, I'm going to say her name wrong. Nakia Isabella. Isabel. Did I say the name wrong, Miss Shakia? Say it for me. You got it. You got it. It's Nakia oh, Isabel. You got it. Thank you. You got it. Ooh, my reading skills are good. Uh, thank you for this conversation. Can you, <laughs> can you all speak to the importance of utilizing art to impact and spread a message versus taking advantage and capitalizing off of a culture and community? Can we have the youth answer that question? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we'll go to the adults. I could go. <laughs> um, so. I think it starts, if you're not a part of the culture, take the time to research it, learn about it. Like take class from people who actually live these experiences and acknowledge the fact that you are still a student in this art form and or whatever you're using to, to promote the messaging or spread your awareness. Um, I think there's been a lot of people, um, white people, um, particularly white women um, utilizing black cultures such as like hip hop, um, tap, whatever that may be. Um, if they took some form of an African dance style, um, I've witnessed at least on social media, um, them utilizing those art forms or at least dancing the black music and 
promoting whatever and just like leeching off of the views and off of everything that comes with that and aren't really acknowledging what's happening currently to black people. Um, it's like been for a very early stage in finding out about the death of George Floyd. Um, a lot of my white followers or people who I was following um, were very silent and weren't saying anything and weren't utilizing their allyship um, to speak on what is happening. And it's it's frustrating because it's like you you love our culture um, so you love our culture so much and you are gaining a lot of clout off of utilizing black bodies. And honestly, to me, it just touches on just the history of black people and how we have been brought to the United States for them to once again profit profit off of us. You know, there was slavery, um, then all of the reconstruction. And today I just feel like we're seeing it one of the mediums that we're seeing that in is black art. They love us when we make a poppin' album. They love us when we sell out their shows. They love us when, you know, whatever. But then the minute it's time to speak up about what's happening, it gets real silent. <laughs> Thank you. Ms. Lakeem, I wanna have you jump in on that conversation. Yeah, so um, blackness and the appropriation of one, what one deems blackness is has been uh, something that has happened since we have been on this planet. We have seen the erasure of black existence in our history and history um, clear back to uh, Kemet, which is uh, now Egypt and how uh, throughout the media, you see that um, Egyptian gods and so forth are all considered to be white and so forth. What this is, is all about the, the construct and the power, mm. right? And so as we continue to understand and, and know that the power says, and this goes back to your question why uh, we only seem to have anger with the males is because we're in a white dominated society, a patriotic yes. society, meaning that it's governed by men, those same men that were the founders of America uh, who were rapists, okay? Right. Who were thieves, liars, uh, people that were not, um, had well intentions from the get-go. So when systems and policies are built through the sheer um, ignorance and through fear, then that's why you have the indoctrination or how we have subscribed to only see that the male is what's most important, right? So anything that's not in this mature masculine um, ideology of patriarchness is, can yes. be discarded. And so that's what, although we may be, uh, we, we may not agree with that, our own beliefs may not agree on that, but the indoctrination of, of this whiteness that we have been in, immersed in for generations causes us to act out on things that we may not even believe. That's called implicit bias. And those implicit biases that are in your head are based on all these imageries that we've seen, are based on these policies, right. are based on our schooling, right? And oftentimes we're not aware that we're acting off of something that is not even our thought. So what we so, have yeah. to do is to come inside and get back rooted to who we are as Africans. Understand that the root has been severed. And when your root has been severed, you have now took on the ideology of someone else. 
In our culture, we honor everyone. Yes. Everyone is honored. Um, about appropriation, um, here in the, in the, specifically in the Northwest, African dance has been really um, appropriated. And there's a lot of things that have, um, I'm gonna have some conversations around it. I got a couple of um, events that are gonna come up around this question, uh, but there is anti-blackness in the African dance arena here in Northwest. It is toxic to go to African dance classes if you're a person of the African diaspora. That's why I stopped. Period, point blank, toxic. Right. And you would ask, why is it toxic? Because it is inundated with whiteness. It has come to the point that we have to fight. We, we came here and have been severed from our roots. We are now a lot of our the, the Africans born in America are looking to reconnect to their roots. And now when you when we are starting African dance arena to reconnect to our roots, our spirituality, what it is to commune with with God through dance, um, we have now a barrier of whiteness. There is, um, and as Cypher said, it is uh, mainly white women, right? Uh, that are that are in the front line, that uh, they go to Africa and they can stay for seven, 10 months and learn the dances and so forth. It's all about their privilege, right? And they come back and say, well, now I'm gonna teach you your culture. Yes. And so they're teaching classes on the collegiate level when there is plenty of Africans from the diasporas, Africans born on the continent that should be teaching those classes. I wanna say to all white women, uh, white men, stand down, stand down. This is not your culture. It is not acceptable to appropriate in any way. And I stand with that. It is okay to support. I understand that you think it's wonderful and maybe a great physical thing for you, but this is our roots. This is about how we heal, how we, how we commune and how we, um, how we relate to our God. Understand that mm. this is not a trend. This is what's in. Thank you. <coughs> Sorry. I had to cough. Cause I, I, I don't even know where to go from here. Cause we need to wrap up. I don't even know where to go. Um, Miss Melba, can you please talk about uh, the fundraiser? No, we're we going to have you talk about that in a second. Lacey, you talk about the fundraiser and why is it important for people to give to Northwood Tap Connection. Let's hear from the young people. Okay. Well, firstly, it's important to give to Northwood Tap Connection because we are a race and social justice oriented studio. And um, our mission is inclusive of providing job opportunities to artists of color, specifically the black community in South Seattle, and just giving a space for black artists to create work that adds to their history and um, their story and creating work that fosters change. And also um, Northwest Tap Connection has given you so many opportunities. Um, we have opportunities to travel, perform, and um, even teaching opportunities. And it doesn't only just teach dance, we've learned so many life lessons and we, we're continuing to learn so many life lessons. And um, yeah, just the studio that educates and emphasizes the importance of blackness and standing and having pride in your blackness and yeah. Thank you, Miss Melba. 
Well, I think that Lacey did a wonderful <laughs> in talking about Northwest Tap Connection. And all I can tell you is that, you know, Northwest Tap Connection is founded on the, um, the, the principles of black community, which is definitely inclusive. And so, as I tell people that it's not just a studio just for black children, we, we welcome all children and all adults to come in. But it is definitely to know that our emphasis is on blackness, about defining blackness, understanding blackness, looking at integrity and versus reputation. And so for myself, it's that I can only tell you how to be black. I can't tell you how to live a white life or a Filipino life, or I can tell you about blackness. But what we know about blackness is that blackness, when there, when blackness is well taken care of, everybody is well taken care of. Okay. Very true. And, and so that's so. What's good for black children is good for all children because that's just the way it is. So definitely we have been very blessed. People have been really helping out. We were running our campaign right now about trying to keep the money just to pay our um, our basic utilities and rent and, and everything until we get back into place because we will not open up again until September. But the hopes that October will not be a second um, phase of shutdown again, but definitely donations. Um, if we can pass that 75000 so that we can keep our GAP scholarships that have played such an intricate part of giving kids and um, an opportunity to dance on a more um, competitive level, because most people can afford to pay for one class, but if you really want to be a dancer, you're going to be dancing anywhere from six to seven hours a week, and that's where we find people of color just cannot afford to have that type of experience. So definitely for all the people who have been so gracious in helping Northwest Tap Connection, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It really touches me knowing that I come from a marginalized people and how I have seen that people of all walks and colors within life has um, been so generous to us. So thank you again. Awesome. Um, before we get to the final question, and final thoughts, I just want to say, uh, one, thank you all for tuning in um, to this. This is, uh, both organizations hold a very special heart, uh, place in my heart. Um, literally, when I came to Seattle, I started with Northwest Tap Connection, and then I did probably some of my first work with Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas. And so, um, and it's been over 12 years. I've been here for 12 years. And so to say that like black folks are strong and we hold each other up, I've been held up and lifted up from both organizations from the time that I've been here. So please make sure that you donate to Northwest Top Connection in the in South Seattle, Rainier Beach area, uh, Henderson and Rainier. Uh, we ain't going nowhere. We're not trying to get out of this area because we need to make sure black folks stay in this area. Uh, the final thing I want to say about Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas on July 11th, we are having our bougie brunch soiree, hey, hosted by the lovely Randy Ford. Um, it is a fundraiser, but it's also a very chilled event. Get cute, get on social media, get some food. We have three food vendors. We have all of that stuff. And it's just to keep us around. We've been here for 21 years. We're trying to go into our 22nd year. And these are the type of programs that we want to present to you all. 
Uh, we believe in black voices. We believe in black thought. We believe in black arts. So please, if you can, if you got $2 to donate, we will take your $2. So don't hesitate. It ain't like that. You ain't got to buy this expensive ticket. Um, please go to our website and we'll have more information. Also go to Northwest Top Connections website. They will have more information. We know this is just the start of a conversation. Um, it is so much deeper than that, but I wanted to get some final thoughts. Uh, Cypher, you know my favorite question is, what is your joy? Uh, that is part of it. And also, um, I just, from Ms. Shakia and Ms. Melba, uh, the, the final question outside of what, what is your joy is also, where do you see hell you talking about going next? What do you envision for that? Uh, Cypher, what's your joy? My joy um, is black art right now. Um, art has always been a form of protest and I, I just love blackness in all of its forms. So black art is my joy. Thank you, Lacey. My joy right now would have to be my community and the people that I'm surrounding myself with right now, which are all black people and my black friends, my black family, just my black community. Thank you. Miss Lakima. My blackness brings me joy. My <laughs> business is called Skin I'm In, Unapology, black, unapologetically black in the skin you're in. Um, and so I, I I'm just joyful for the blackness that I'm in. Even though we have so much trauma, so much pain, I wouldn't want to be nobody else. Everybody want to be us. Thank you. They want the rhythm, but they don't want the blues. Holla. Say that. Uh, Ms. Shakia, what is your joy and where do you see how you're talking about next? Um, for me personally, my joy has been stillness and a peace of mind. You know, it's <laughs> yes. very difficult to have in the middle of everything. And those two things have become very, very, very precious to me, stillness and a peace of mind. And mm -hmm. where I see how you're talking about going next is, I think what we're doing now is where hell you talking about goes next. I think uh, a lot of people are wanting to, you know, view it, share it, but the discussion around it, you know, um, mm -hmm. not everybody knows how to break ice. Not everybody knows how to, you know, get into an uncomfortable, ugly, necessary conversation. Um, I think we live in a culture where keeping it 100 um, is, is thrown around very loosely. But when you do keep it 100, your nostrils are wide open. You're vulnerable. You are right. looking crazy. You are shaking, but you're still talking. You know what I'm saying? And so I think hell you talking about is one of several things that will begin to help people um, start to facilitate these kinds of conversations. That's that's where I see this going. And my personal desire for it is that it also begins to help with um, this this issue being addressed in churches specifically. Mm. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Ms. Malba, what is your joy? And where do you see this going next? My joy is the same as my inspiration. I have three grandchildren. Sade, who is four, TJ, almost a year and a half, and Serena, who is right at three weeks. And, and definitely that joy is what gives me the inspiration to keep doing what I'm doing so that their lives are different than what mine was and that their thoughts about it definitely is different than what I grew up with. 
being blackness. Um, as far as the, I, I would tell you, what I would really like to see is I would like to see that video sitting at the African American Museum in Washington, D.C. Because I think that it is, um, it is very much about what this time is for us and the documentation of time and that I've had over 75 calls and requests for people using it from Juneteenth celebrations to using it for the, to have discussions about Black Lives Matter. And I think that the very thought of how it came to place, it deserves to be at the Smithsonian African American Museum as a documentation of what happens with the arts and how we use the arts to bring about change. Awesome, thank you. Um, and just to let the audience know, Ms. Melba had a major news station saying that they wanted to cover this. And she came to me um, as someone at Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas. And I just feel honored with that. Um, just because we, sure. what I understand and what I understand about working at Northwest Tap Connection and what I understand just about my life is that there's a way that we can tell our stories that will put the love around it, that will put the support around it, that we won't shut anybody's voices out. Right. And right. so I thank you all for being a part of this, for coming to CD Forum to get this conversation started in a way that I hope we bring honor to you all. Um, we bring honor to the people that were in the video. Uh, Ms. Shakia, thank you for your vision. Thank you for... Um, I know you go with God. <laughs> I know you do. And when it's like, when it's placed on you, that's what, that's how you move. And so I thank you for moving in that direction so that we can have this conversation. So that video and, and can exist in the world. Um, thank you everybody. Again, we didn't touch on everything, but I think this will, you will walk away with something and we will do this over and over again until there's no longer a need to have these conversations. Um, and that won't be any time in my lifetime. So um, <laughs> yes, uh, thank you all. It, it's lovely to see y'all faces virtually, cause you know, can't see y'all in person. So it's great to see your faces virtually. And everyone, you have a very lovely afternoon. And if you're in Seattle, it's raining. So, we deal with that. We just move on. Um, and we will see you all later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah.